journey together, it got me thinking about the, um, really the reason for resistance. Uh, why do we encounter resistance in our lives, and, and what's the purpose of that? Um, you know, it, it's sort of like you don't ever, you don't really learn endurance if you don't have to endure something sometimes. You don't really learn patience unless you have to be patient. You don't really learn how to really love unless you have to love unlovable people. And sometimes you don't really learn faith unless you have to get called out of the boat and walk on water, <laughs> you know. But it, it's easy to say that, but it's hard in practice. Um, it's sort of like we've had those schoolyard sort of interactions with our lives, or even as, as kids, or the school bus, or even online, where you get these sort of accusations um, against you, where you get these sort of, uh, you know, you think you're such a big shot, you know, basically prove yourself, you know, prove yourself, show, show us who you are, and, and, and if, if, if you think you're so great, then, then prove it, and it's sort of like when, you, when that happens, it feels like a roundhouse kick to your pride that sort of says, you're not enough as you presently are. Who you are at this very moment is not enough. And so then it's, it's like a very clever sort of temptation that's, that says, you know, you're not enough as who you are. It's almost, almost like a bully, right? And so I'm going to challenge you to exceed beyond your expectation. And this isn't like a good way. Of course, God challenges us sometimes. But it's in a negative way to sort of get you out of the comfort zone to the place where this, these accusations pull you from a place of safety and, and really into a place of insecurity, where you're trying to be something or do something that you're not. And, and so when that happens, you make some really, really stupid decisions. Like, for example, um, if you, I used to watch America's Funny Some Videos a lot uh, when I was, well, it's still on, I think. Remember, like, you remember TGIF and Bob Saget and all that stuff, you know? I think 90% of their content is people doing this. Someone's holding the camera and going, prove yourself, you know, do this. Like, I saw a guy on that show, and he was holding a toaster oven, and it was plugged in, and a butter knife, and the camera guy said, do it! You know, prove yourself! And the guy was like, no, I don't know about this. And, he, and then he did it. He stuck the knife in the toaster and exploded. And they put it on television. It was crazy. You know, it reminds me of, what do they say are the a southern boy's famous last words? Hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> now, hold my beer. I'm not going to say that. I know you're thinking, though. <laughs> I guess you call it peer pressure, taunting. You're not enough as you presently are, so I'm going to make you prove yourself in a very negative, damaging, dangerous way. It's, it's especially from on a masculine level, it's like you know bravado and machismo, and I'm going to uh, belt buckle, and I'm going to do do do. You know, and it's a very clever temptation. It's bait. It's bait, and if you take it, 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 it makes you feel like you're being more, while in reality, maybe you're not. And here's the thing, though. God does not accuse us like that. God doesn't make us prove ourselves in that way, in a way that's dangerous to us. Yes, he does challenge us. He loves us. He wants us to grow in holiness and righteousness, but he does not accuse. Jesus said that the devil has many names, 
a literal name like Lucifer, but also other ones, murderer, liar, deceiver, and accuser. That's what Jesus literally calls him that more than once. You know, we hear accusations against us every day in your head. You hear these accusations. And a lot of the spiritual life is learning how to discern fact from fiction and choosing to reject lies and accept the truth. And a lot of people, though, when they hear the accusations, the sad part is they start to believe them and live into them and think that's who they are. Um, Well, Lent is a season of preparation, a season of repentance, a season to wrestle with, uh, you know, maybe openly and honestly wrestling with some temptations that we face and that they're not uncommon. We all face them. And it's just a season maybe to get a little more deep into that. And it's also a season in which we realize we cannot prove ourselves to God. Like God can't love you any more than he already does. So we don't have to stop trying to earn it. Like you just have to receive it. All you can give God is your life and that's more than enough. Well in Matthew chapter four, Jesus over and over again is challenged by the devil to prove himself repeatedly. And a challenge to act from a place of insecurity, a challenge and a temptation and an accusation to be something he's not and take the bait. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't do that. But this is an important text for Lent because many times in our lives, when, you th- when you're really trying to press into God or you're really trying to get closer to God in your relationship with God, um, you're going to experience resistance. You're going to encounter it. And I really believe this. When the temptations are the strongest is actually when God is about to do something great in your life. It's right around the corner. And the enemy knows that. And he wants to, he wants to deviate you from that path. He wants to take your eyes off that and, 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 and bring shame onto your life. So in actuality, temptation should be an encouragement because that resistance shows that you're making traction, right? It means that you're getting somewhere. It means that God is doing great things. He's about to do even greater things. And so here's Jesus at the, you know, at what they say the beginning of his ministry, 40 days in the wilderness, hasn't eaten or had water, actually, so it says in the text. And he's about to start on the greatest ministry the world has ever seen. So, of course, the devil wants to come against that while he can and attack him while he is at his weakest point physically. Because the devil knew that God's getting ready to do great work through Jesus, and he wanted to try and put a stop to it. So in Matthew chapter 4, starting verse 1. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Of course, he's physically a man, therefore he is he's perfectly, uh, perfectly man, he is hungry. The tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, meaning angels are going to take care of you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. I'll just give a few general thoughts on that, and then we're just going to walk through those three temptations. Very simple. The first thing I'll say is that temptation is not a sin. I think a lot of people think, if I'm tempted, therefore I've screwed up. You haven't. Jesus is tempted. Jesus never sinned. It's not bad to be tempted. It's common to all people everywhere. So it's nothing wrong with that. It's normal to our reality. But following through on the temptation is a different story. But it's not a sin to be tempted. Secondly, everything Satan says here is a lie. Is that a surprise or what? Stones are not bread. That's a lie. If Jesus threw himself off the temple, he would die. More than likely, right? Then thirdly, Satan doesn't own all the kingdoms of the world. He thinks he does. Only God is the one who gives authority and takes authority away. God is the ruler of all the universe. Now, even the way Satan quotes scripture sounds correct, but he's doing it in a way that twists it to use it for evil and for his own gain. He's essentially um, he's circumventing the physical laws of the, of the earth and saying, you know, oh, go ahead and go against the laws that God has ordained to be on the earth. Everything the devil offers Jesus is temporal. Everything. Food, physical food, power over kingdoms of the world. It's all, not, it's all finite, and that's all he can offer. Nothing eternal, nothing spiritual. And I, also, everything the devil does to make God, everything the devil says is to try and make Jesus contradict himself and take away the authority of God and overthrow the, the authority of God. And lastly, in, in church history, Christian history, and of the Apostle Paul, of course, too, wrote about this, that it's, it was widely believed that Satan occupied the area of you know, the earth and the upper atmosphere. That's why you see things like Paul say things like... Um, the, the prince of the air. If you read like Galatians and stuff like that, he'll say things like that because they believe that he had principality over that area, but nothing higher. So he's confined to the earth and he sees Jesus utterly hungry and so he pounces on the weakness. But so if Satan's confined to the earth, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, why did Satan fall to the earth? Because of pride. He desired to be God. And so because he fell because of pride and rise, trying to rise above, above God, it would make sense then that his accusations against people and Jesus are to try and leverage our pride in a negative way, to call you out, to make you prove yourself, right? To, to leverage those things and and twist it in such a way. So for example, if you read Isaiah 14, where it's believed that Isaiah prophesied about the devil, Isaiah said this, notice how many I will statements you read. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the heights of Zephon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is not a metaphor. I think it's literally talking about the devil. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. 
Ezekiel 28 describes the devil at his original state, he's a created being, as the most beautiful angel. It, some people believe the angel, ultimate angel of light, even the instrument of the leader of music. He was likely the highest of all angels, and yet he gets exiled from heaven. And as, as Jesus said, a third of all the angels went with him who would become what we call demons. So he's confined to the earth, and he knows this. He knows he's on limited time, so he's coming at Jesus to tempt him. And in the first temptation, what does he do? He says to Jesus, prove yourself. Prove yourself. You're Jesus. You're the Son of God. There's stones literally everywhere. Like, we could have bread for the rest of our lives. So you don't have to be hungry. Turn them into bread. You're Jesus. I know you can do it. And what does Jesus say? And back to him. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, which says, you don't live, man's not called to live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Memorizing scripture is such an important way to ward off temptation. Um, you ever heard the phrase, you can't, uh, you are what you eat, right? Or my favorite, you can't outrun your spoon. I always like that one. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you work out if you're eating cheeseburgers every day, you know. The same goes with the Bible. I mean, what, what you ingest in your life is what you, the results you get. If it takes up residence within your mind and your soul, if you're memorizing parts of it, not just to be a robot, but so that it's part of you, it's, it's an embedded in your heart because of love, because you want it there, clearly Jesus knew, particularly the Old Testament, back and forth, and he's quoting Deuteronomy back. It's aiding him in times of temptation where evil comes along and sounds very possible, plausible. Well, God could turn bread from stones. It's possible. But Jesus said, no, 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 you're sa Satan, your priorities are all wrong. That's not the purpose of life. It's just God to be like snapping his fingers and making things happen like that and abuse the laws that he has created on the earth. No. No, it's important to know what the Bible actually says so that when evil comes, you can ward it off with truth. Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is alive, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Leave that up for a second. Some of the best advice I ever got in seminary, you know, if you've heard preachers a lot, sometimes ministers can start to feel like people come to church to hear them. And that's a dangerous place to be. And the same goes for worship leaders too. You think the people are there for you. <laughs> no. Some of the best advice I ever got was that people are coming to hear the word of God. That's what people come to church for, to hear not what I have to say. They want to hear what God has to say. That's why you're here. Those are the words of life, not mine. And my, I might have a few pithy jokes here and there, but I have nothing compared to the eternal and living word of God. It is powerful. It is active. It is what changes lives. God uses it to change lives. Here is Jesus quoting Deuteronomy to the devil to ward him off. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God per proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God has literally never contradicted himself. He is undefeated. 
he is never lost. He is always creating and renewing and restoring creation. Secondly, temptation. Number two. So, okay, Jesus wards them off with Deuteronomy 8.3, and Satan comes back with another call to prove yourself. Okay, jump off this top of the temple, and you're going to be fine. The angels will hold you up. There's nothing to worry about. But what does Satan do here? Then he quotes the Bible back at Jesus, doesn't he? So Jesus uses scripture to back off Satan. Satan catches on, and he quotes Psalm 91, 12. The angels will bear you up. Just, okay, I can get into a Bible argument with you, Jesus. That's fine. Here we go, back and forth. Here's Satan, a demigod of sorts, a created being, trying to go toe-to-toe with the living word of God in a Bible trivia challenge. I mean, how arrogant is this of him to think he can one-up Jesus in the Bible, or to them, the Old Testament. And so here they are having this back and forth. See, people might, you might forget this. The devil knows the Bible better than most of us. <laughs> he knows it. He knows it all. Even James chapter 2, the apostle James wrote, you believe there's one God? That's good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. It's not enough to simply believe that in your head but to know it in your heart. Plenty of people believe that, but it doesn't make a difference. The devil himself can quote the Bible. He knows it. He's opposed to it. Here's why he's opposed to it. Here's one of the things that Satan does. He takes things that are sacred to God. There's lots of things that are sacred to God. Your physical body is sacred to God. Your soul is sacred to God. Your emotions are sacred to God. Your race, your gender, your sexuality, they're all sacred to God, given to you by God. And the, the enemy loves to take things that are sacred and twist them and desacralize them and ruin them as a way of rebellion and opposition to God in heaven. You know, the worst sort of devil is the ones that actually know the Bible and then they twist it to meet, to meet their own needs. And, and it sounds great coming off the lips, but then the fruit of their lives shows something very different. See, I've always said this, don't listen to what people say, watch what they do, and you'll figure out real quick what they actually believe. Lastly, it's fascinating to me that people can have a, sort of a low view of the Bible and think, eh, it's kind of irrelevant. And, eh. But here you have, you have Jesus and the devil literally quoting it at each other in authoritative ways. You don't see them apologizing for it or writing it off, but they're literally using it in powerful way and acknowledging its power. So then thirdly, the, the third temptation, the gloves come off with Satan in this situation, and he basically says, okay, just worship me. That's what this is about. Bow down to me, and, and that's what I really want. I want to rise above you, and I'm not going to play games anymore. So what is his response, Jesus' response? Again, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13, worship God only. And then he gives a rebuke, away, with, away from me, Satan. And you, know, you see that again when Jesus is talking to Peter and in the Gospels, and Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, that will never happen to you. You're, you're not going to die on a cross. You're not going to die in three days. That's not going to happen. And and, and, and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. 
And he's not speaking to Peter. He's speaking to the devil trying to influence him and saying the things of God aren't going to happen. You know, there's many times in my life when just like, I'm going to be perfectly honest. We have crazy thoughts come into our minds. Crazy stuff that we didn't generate, that we don't want to be there. And there's many times where I will say in my heart, not out loud, because I don't want to look like a crazy person. In my heart, I'll say, get behind me, Satan. Because I didn't come up with that thought, and I know God doesn't want me to think that. And so there's many times I think spiritually we have to acknowledge tactics for what they are. Because people are literally under attack. We, we have a, a, we're in a season of life in this world where the things of God that are so sacred to God are under attack. Your family is sacred to God. Your marriage is sacred to God. All the aspects of who you are that God loves is sacred to him. And he longs to heal it. He longs to restore it, to help, to be there for you. But there's many times, though, we have to give God space. We have to give him room to do what he would like to do. I've been dwelling on this lately that God really does go where he is wanted. Now, of course, God is omnipotent. He's everywhere. But what I mean is he's more specifically located where people are truly drawing near to him. And in those moments, we create space. He provides healing. So we did this last week when Ellen was here, and it was a beautiful moment when we had a few minutes after this. And we're going to start doing this every Sunday. A, a time of just ministry where you can come forward for prayer, not because there's something wrong with you, but because there's so much right with God. Because if you're going to stop coming up for prayer because you think there's something wrong with you, then you're in great company because we all have things that are wrong with us. None of us are as we should be. Someone's got to say amen to that. I mean, come on. I mean, please. Um, don't lie in church. Everyone's watching you. No, I'm kidding. But, we, you know, we're going to have this time moving forward. It's just going to become part of the culture where if you need prayer, if you, need, if you have a physical ailment, if you have emotional uh, needs, if you have some sort of oppression or something you're dealing with, come forward for prayer. Because if you can't have that in church, where in the world can you have it, right? I mean, I've had people cry in church. And they're like, I'm sorry, I don't want to cry. If you, if you can't cry in church, where can you cry? If you can't feel how you feel in church, then you need to get to a different church because you need to feel how you are in this day and find the healing of God for where you are at this very moment because that is why this service and this any church should exist is to provide space for the Holy Spirit to heal us, to reconcile us to God and to give him space to do what only he can do. That certainly I can't do it. So I'm gonna pray and we're going to have a few moments during this song to do that. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. And as you move in this time.